The days may still be on the chilly side, but certainly the smell of soil and the sight of the daffodils, magnolias, cherry blossoms leave no doubt that spring is finally here, and it is very exciting. Charlene Gray, Program Coordinator for Environmental Horticulture and Sustainable Agriculture at UMaine, has a touch of excitement in her voice as she talks about the new beginnings that spring promises. Despite a few wintry spells, it seems that spring has finally arrived in Maine as we record this episode, and with it, a new season for those of us who love gardening or landscaping around our homes and properties. I'm Ron Lisnett, and this is the Maine Question Podcast. The benefits of getting out into the garden or working on a landscaping project are many. It promotes physical and mental health, it can improve the environment when done right, and support bees and other pollinators. It can increase property values or help feed your family. We spoke with Charlene and with Kate Garland, who is the horticulturalist for UMaine Cooperative Extension, about those benefits and the rich history of landscaping in Maine, as well as career opportunities in this field. As it is with many aspects of our natural world, the shifting climate is changing the habitat for plants and what grows where. We'll also dive into that topic. It's springtime in Maine as we went to record this episode, so get out your gloves and garden tools as we ponder our main question. Are you ready to garden? Well, as we're recording this, it's late April and a typical springtime in Maine where you have the heater on in the car in the morning and the air conditioner in the afternoon, or I have lawnmowers going on the lawn behind me outside my office window, but there was snow in the air recently. So regardless of that, for you folks that spend a lot of your lives outdoors and among trees and flowers, spring is a great time of year. Can you just talk about the excitement you have of starting the whole process again, another season of growing and doing what you do? Charlene, maybe start with you. Is this an exciting time of year for you? Yes, absolutely. Like you said, the days may still be on the chilly side, but certainly the smell of soil and the sight of the daffodils, magnolias, cherry blossoms, Leave no doubt that spring is finally here, and it is very exciting. Kate, how about you? A sign of better things to come in warmer days, right? Certainly. Yeah, I know that it doesn't matter how warm or cold the winter was or harsh the winter was. It's always exciting to see that shift in in weather patterns. And um, for me, I really enjoy my morning walks going out and seeing the the different native plants that are are popping up and showing signs of life um, such as the trillium and the um, the native honeysuckles and such it's 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 amazing how predictably they come out at this time of year and um, I, I always look at them as uh, indicators of, of one of my children's birthdays so it, it's a nice it's a nice way to track time. What can you both tell us about the benefits of gardening, being outdoors, landscaping in terms of people's mental and physical health? And has that become even more important with a pandemic and everything else going on? I'm definitely not a mental health expert, but I definitely know that there's a lot of great information, research-based information on the the mental health benefits and the, obviously the physical health benefits of having a garden. Um, I, I uh, was excited to see recently that that um, National Initiative uh, for or National Institute for Consumer Horticulture um, compiled a series of really neat infographics, and um, they cleverly use the the hashtag plants do that. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about that, I, I highly recommend checking that out. Um, but they cover 
they, they gleaned a whole bunch of information on research around mental health benefits of, of uh, plants. And it includes like improving um, outcomes um, and reduced stress um, during hospital visits and learning outcomes in school settings and increased worker productivity and job satisfaction and obviously um, increased mental well-being um, in our home settings as well. So it's it's incredible what plants do for our, our health. Beyond the pandemic, Charlene, do you see the benefits of gardening for people that are able to get outdoors, especially when sometimes we're cooped up a lot here? I would say that the benefits of gardening, uh, either in your own home landscape or in your occupation, you know, they're, they're, they follow the basic guidelines for the overall general health advice we've all been hearing about over the past year during the pandemic, which are simply, you know, get yourself outside and get yourself some exercise, <laughs> both of which promote a healthy lifestyle through stress reduction, better sleep, and those things that Kate mentioned. I would say gardening or landscaping, you know, whichever you prefer to call it, can offer significant boosts in mental health, in mental health by creating a sense of satisfaction and joy um, out of what you've created and what you've grown and a boost in physical health because you're using your body to get the majority of the work involved accomplished. And, you know, as long as you're doing so safely, um, it should be, um, you know, it should be a boost for your body. And I'd also say, you know, in addition that when you work in your garden, you begin to become more in tune with natural systems throughout the seasons of the year. And, and this can help slow you down and, and help you see the world through a new lens. Oh, I was just going to say, just to add to it a little bit, the idea that you're caring for something, the opportunity to care for something is so important to our mental health as well. So um, I, I can't underestimate that, that value of gardening and landscaping. Charlene, is it fair to say that Maine has a, a bit of an undersung history as a place that has really a lot of spectacular landscaping? Are there places that are well-known uh, or should be more well-known? Yes, without a doubt. Uh, Maine is home to some extraordinary private home landscapes. Uh, the, the history of some of these properties goes back to the origins of the landscape architecture, architecture profession. You know, big names in this profession as it was emerging as a profession in the late 1800s such as Frederick Law Olmsted, Beatrix Ferrand. They worked designing public parks and gardens uh, and private landscapes throughout the country, but they were also commissioned to design landscapes of private estates here in Maine, many of which are located in the Midcoast area and Mount Desert Island area. These days, this type of high-quality work is still happening, uh, as folks continue to come to Maine to build their second, third, even fourth homes. There are pockets of the entire coast of Maine, in addition to interior areas of the state, with fantastically designed and managed landscapes, most of which aren't necessarily visible as you you know ram the roads of the state, but you might be able to catch a glimpse of some if you're out sailing the coastline. Now, Kate, obviously Cooperative Extension is there to take the knowledge and the research and the information generated by the university and elsewhere and bring it to the public. The Master Gardener program is part of that. Can you just talk about that program and the overall goal of what you're trying to do in terms of gardening, landscaping, what have you, interfacing with the public? That's a great question. 
Uh, the master gardener training, first and foremost, is a volunteer training. So I think it's kind of um, a surprise to some people that that is the key component of the training. Um, but truthfully, we are there to train volunteers to help us extend our reach out into the public. And we provide citizens with uh, of all experience levels. So we welcome brand new gardeners into the master gardener volunteer um, training to gather research-based information on horticultural best practices, basically, um, to not only make them more successful gardeners, but to prepare them for service projects that extend that information out to the general public um, through a variety of ways, through educational projects, but also food security projects. And I think our volunteers find that they learn just as much through their service activity as they do um, in the classroom setting during the training itself. So it's really fun to see that um, engagement and that evolution happen. Can you both maybe talk about some of the latest trends in landscaping and gardening? There's so many out there that are very interesting. Native plants or designs that save soil or save insects, uh, organics. There's a lot happening in some of these areas, correct? I would say that definitely the major umbrella trend seems to be that of designing and managing landscapes with sustainability in mind and keeping this at the forefront of the design and management conversations. Uh, Sustainable landscaping, meaning landscapes designed and managed to work with ecological systems rather than causing disruption or damage to them, but also planning landscapes that will be resilient in the face of natural environmental threats. Um, So to touch on some of the topics you mentioned, uh, I would say priorities in landscaping sustainably would be preventing soil erosion uh, through dense planting, mulching, and addressing steep slopes by revegetating as soon as possible and or terracing, and also using native plants to provide native pollinators, shelter, and food, but also to reduce the need for additional irrigation after establishment, um, if planted appropriately. And also the, there's a trend in using organics in the marketplace. Uh, you know, these are available in the marketplace, which is great, um, especially when it comes to fertilizers and amendments. But then of course, you know, when it comes to organic pesticides, um, I would just caution that, you know, even though these products are, are labeled as organic, uh, they still need to be used with care and um, keep in mind that good design and Time spent researching plants, you know, may prevent the need for the use of such products, you know, to begin with. Kate, any uh, thoughts on any of that? And also, uh, you might see more people are trying to grow their own food, right? Absolutely. Um, I think that Charlene covered the bases very, very well in terms of overall landscape trends. Um, I'll just add to that that um, indoor plants have been really big. People have wanted to welcome more green into their homes as they're spending more time at home um, and also growing their own food. Um, I have seen so many people dive into vegetable gardening for the first time or reconnect with vegetable gardening that have kind of put away the trowel for, for many years and now they've they've picked it up again and are eager to get started. And um, what's fun about these trends is Um, especially in these times of social media and being able to share um, our experiences so readily. It's been fun to see all that sharing happening over Facebook and Instagram and and such. And people are learning directly and indirectly from one another, which I really, really love. Um, And the, the other trends are 
um, learning uh, in general. Um, it, the opportunities to, to learn online have, have just exploded. And so I've, I'm hearing about people taking um, classes and workshops from botanical gardens from all over the world. I have a friend that's taking a botanical illustration class um, from, I think it's Kew Gardens. And, and so it's, it's pretty amazing to think about um, these opportunities that wouldn't otherwise be available and, and extensions right there along with all those other um, uh, educational institutions. And, and so that's, that's been a big trend is just providing those resources and meeting those um, consumer needs. We hear a lot about the struggles of bees and other pollinators. Are there trends in terms of addressing that issue? What can people do in their own backyards to maybe help? I think it's easier than people think, actually. Um, one of the things that um, people are surprised, and I actually just wrote about it in our main home garden newsletter, is it's important to leave the leaves in the springtime as long as possible. So it's it's good to be lazy right now <laughs> or, or try to step away from that rake um, for as long as you can. Actually, sometimes that's hard, too, especially if you're in more urban settings where expectations for a tidier landscape are, are, are there. Um, but that's one simple thing um, because a lot of bees overwinter in that duff um, uh, and and that serves as really important protection during these um, uh, cooler spring temperatures and, and a lot of other insects and wildlife um, rely on that, that leaf litter as well. Um, and it also serves as a good mulch. It, it reduces weed pressure going into the season and conserves moisture as well. So if you can wait until late May, um, early June to even do that, that's better. The longer you can wait, the better. Permission to be lazy. I love it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty nice. And then providing other habitat, um, such as uh, even piles of, of rocks and sticks in certain areas that might be a little bit more visually out of the way is, is good. Um, because we have, we have uh, over a couple hundred different native bee species out in in Maine alone, and um, they require a lot of different types of habitat. So they don't just you know uh, live in those hives that we traditionally think of for bees. They live in the hollows of um, stems of raspberries, for example, or um, in between the rocks or in bare soil as well. So thinking about providing diverse habitats um, in your landscape is really important, and then also. A really simple solution to supporting them is water, making sure that there's a water resource for those insects, not just pollinators, but a variety of insects. And um, a fun one to do with kids is um, creating a, and even adults actually, is to create a a butterfly um, puddling area or an insect puddling area. Um, And that's just, you simply have a a, a trough that can hold water. It could be a bird bath or it could be just a Tupperware container. You fill it with gravel and then um, put water in that. And that gravel serves as a landing um, pad for the insects um, so that they can access the water readily. And then um, you just tuck that somewhere in your garden or in a few places in your garden, in your landscape. And that serves as an important water resource for those organisms. Charlene, in addition to the beauty of landscaping or gardening, what are some other benefits that people might get from doing landscaping uh, and putting landscaping and working on their property? I'll go back, just I'll touch on the mental health aspect a little bit more. I'd say that, you know, people who work in their gardens have the opportunity to feel, you know, this great gain from putting their creativity to use. And 
then they get to enjoy a sense of, a sense of satisfaction from that. Um, for me, I know also when I see native bees and hummingbirds flocking to my bee balm or my echinacea that, that I placed, that I planted, and that I care for throughout the growing season, I can't help but feel I've played a small part in doing good for Earth's creatures. So uh, this type of work, you know, when you when you put this type of work into your property through thoughtful and efficient design, it ends up paying dividends in the actual physical and mental processes of doing the work, the time you get to spend enjoying what you've created, in the satisfaction of having a positive impact on the ecological environment around your home, and also potentially adding to the overall value of your property. Charlene, maybe you could talk a little bit about the program here at UMaine. What are its goals and its strengths, and, and where do your students end up taking their degrees? At UMaine, we have we offer a bachelor's degree in environmental horticulture, and it has four concentrations, uh, which I can talk about a, a little bit. Um, and we also offer a certificate in environmental horticulture, which uh, where students can focus in either plant production or garden design. The four concentrations for the bachelor's degree are sustainable horticulture, landscape design, horticultural business, and turf grass management. So sustainable horticulture is for the horticulture student who really enjoys science and wishes to apply science to greenhouse production of plants or to nursery management, um, and maybe for the student who hopes to do research and get a graduate degree in the future. Uh, we have the landscape design for horticulture students who enjoy plants, they enjoy art, and um, they may have goals of designing these attractive and environmentally sustainable landscapes for clients. The landscape design concentration is also a great stepping stone for the student who might want to go on to a master's degree um, in landscape architecture. And then we have horticultural business for students who are entrepreneurial and who know they want to start their own plant-based business someday, uh, such as a plant nursery. And then we have turf grass management, where um, this is really for students who love turf, Maybe they enjoy uh, working on a golf course or sports stadium, or they want to work, be part of a park system someday. Um, this this program has a, the bachelor's at UMaine, but then also the fourth year is spent at UMass Amherst, where students earn an associate's degree from UMass Amherst. Overall, I, I'd say one of our program's greatest strengths is that the faculty who teach the courses are very passionate about what they teach. And many also do horticulture research. And there is opportunity for undergraduate students to work with these faculty and take part in their research. And another strength would be that the core lab courses in our curriculum are very hands-on. And we are fortunate to have a beautifully planted campus in which um, to draw inspiration from, but also to use as an outdoor classroom. In general, our students are looking for a career, you know, they're, they're very interested in being involved in helping people. <laughs> um, so, so what's awesome about this career field is that there are so many different career paths that could all lead toward having a positive impact on other people's lives and also a positive impact on the environment. 
And really these two reasons alone make it a career that is extremely rewarding. Typically our students have gone to work in a, uh, greenhouses growing food uh, for human consumption or um, growing ornamental plants. Students are involved in um, nursery, uh, plant nursery propagating, growing and caring for ornamental plants for private industry, but also growing native plants, propagating native plants to be used for large-scale landscape restoration projects that aim toward rebuilding you know, ecological integrity in potentially degraded areas. And let's see, working as a horticulturalist in a in a public garden or a private estate garden, starting your own business, but also a lot of our students are interested in teaching, whether that's in a community nonprofit organization or as county cooperative, uh, cooperative extension agents, uh, middle school, high school teachers. Yeah. <laughs> so that was ridiculously long. Uh, there's a lot for students to do. <laughs> well, it seems like we can't ever do a podcast these days without bringing up the subject of climate change, and I'm sure that uh, is something that you folks have to deal with. Do we see effects from that in terms of plants moving in and out of our region? Do people need to think about what they can do to mitigate against climate change and anticipate coming changes and plants coming in and out of a certain area that they're, that they're in? Personally, I, I just took a, a road trip down south with my family. This was our first adventure in quite a long time. And um, I found myself just driving down the interstate and and was very thankful for the landscape that we still have in Maine. Um, and, and because of what I observed in, in southern states and the um, amount of invasive species that have just riddled the landscape down there. And um, we are at that northernmost front in the, in the United States of that um, wave of invasive species. And we still have, we do have invasive species in Maine for sure, um, but it's not nearly as bad as it is in, in southern states. So the bright side of it is it's not overwhelming yet but it could be if we don't take action. So I love that our state has taken action in establishing um, more stringent laws on the sale of invasive species. And so I think it's really important for our citizens to be aware of the ban that the state has put on um, selling invasive species. Unfortunately, some of those invasive species still sneak on the market or sneak into um, more hobby type plant sales. So it is important to be informed consumers when you go out to go buy some plants. That's one of the number one things I think people can do is just be aware of what invasive species are out there and how to, to manage them. Um, and folks can contact their local extension office if, if they have any questions on how to manage a particular invasive in their own landscape. And then eliminating pesticide use, making sure that we um, are are actively taking a role in figuring out alternatives to using pesticides in our landscape is really an important way that we can um, increase biodiversity and the resilience of our landscapes. So I guess finally for both of you, what, what trends or growth areas do you see on the horizon? And, and if people want to get started, they don't know where to begin, what advice might you give them about how they can either as you said, start from scratch or reconnect uh, with their property, their garden, their landscape, the environment. Charlene, any thoughts? The trend of sustainable or ecological landscaping will continue to expand um, as it becomes more mainstream. I do think that the pressure is on professionals to, you know, professionals in our industry to to 
continue to convince mainstream con- mainstream consumers that sustainable landscaping doesn't mean an unkempt looking landscape. Clients will still want their home landscapes to look and be tidy and usable. So it's now up to landscape architects, designers, and managers to prove that home landscapes can be sustainable and, and not at the expense of its beauty. As people are starting to you know, try to reinvent their own landscapes at home, um, reaching out to professionals if they need help to get guidance, but also to reaching out to you know, cooperative extension and taking online classes or, or finding um, resources that, that can help them you know, make sure that they're, they're starting this, this process in a sustainable way um, and to, to try to continue that sustainability in their home landscape. Kate, you get the last word. I guess your position and the organization you work for, you're built for people to ask those very same questions, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think a, a couple things that come to mind listening to Charlene was, is that um, we are hearing from a lot of new Mainers or um, folks that have um, recently moved. I'm not sure what the real estate trends are, but it seems like there's quite a few folks that are in new landscapes. And so just a, a quick shout out to those folks that are out there that are looking at their landscaping, wondering what to do. Make sure that you don't make any drastic changes in your landscape this first year. Watch what happens and um, and and don't do anything drastic that might um, remove a, a, a a loved plant in the future. Also, just um, keep in mind that our actions do make a difference. So mowing less, using fewer plastics, all add up to positive changes for our environment and making make our landscapes much more sustainable. I could go on and on and on about all these different subtopics. I, I want to. <laughs> I did want to put a plug in for our pollinator friendly garden certification too. I wish I had mentioned that when I was talking about pollinators. That program does walk people through the steps of what to be thinking of in terms of providing food sources, habitat, water, and general best practices um, for um, sustainable landscape uh, maintenance um, to support pollinators and and increase biodiversity in, in your landscape. So if folks can check out our pollinator garden certification program website, I would highly recommend that. Are you both going to get your hands in some dirt today, possibly? Yes. <laughs> that makes it a good day, right? Starting seeds and and, um, and taking care of those that have already been started. Well, thank you both for taking the time and uh, hope you have a great season. And uh, thanks again. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Ron. To find out more about the environmental horticulture or sustainable ag program at UMaine, head to umaine.edu slash food and agriculture. UMaine Cooperative Extension has a wealth of information on their website. If you search for garden and yard, you can find out how to create a bee-friendly landscape, become a master gardener, and much more. Thanks for joining us for this, our final episode of Season 4 of The Main Question. We'll take a bit of a break, but work will begin soon on Season 5. We're excited to explore more stories on the research and creative projects happening at UMaine and the people behind those stories. In the meantime, you can find all of our stories on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Drop us a line with a question or comment at mainquestion at main.edu. This is Ron Lisnett. We'll catch you next season on The Main Question. Mm-hmm.